0: ...to share with you uh, this morning and I trust what I share will be a blessing. It will continue in the evening, I trust, as well, as I'll be sharing again and I hope that you'll be able to attend that as well on this Missions Day. I became a Christian in 1972 when I was doing postgraduate studies at Strathclyde University and uh, two months after I was saved, I was at a Christian conference and at that conference the speaker was speaking on the life of David, and two things came to me. One, that I was a sinner. I had failings; I fell short of all that God wanted of me, and that Jesus loved me. And I took communion the first time as a true Christian. I'd been in church all my life, loved God in a sort of way, but never really knew Him, came to know Him, as I said, a couple of months before. And I remember bowing my head, saying, Jesus, if you love me so much, someone like me I will go anywhere, I will do anything you ask. You just name it. And that evening I heard my first missionary. And he started with a very simple illustration. If he said there were ten people carrying a log, nine at one end and one at the other, who would you help? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that you should help the one, am I right? And what he basically said is that why is it 99% of Christians run to help the nine? And so few actually go to a world that is lost and without Christ. And he opened my eyes to that. And as a very young Christian, I, I, I just prayed that during that meeting. I said, Jesus, this morning I said, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything for you. I want to be a missionary. And God called me to be a missionary. I went forward for training, service, preparation, served in Indonesia for 14 years. And over the years, I've learned a number of things. It's taken a long time for me to learn some lessons. But there are some things I've learned. And one of the things I've learnt about me personally, and also for most Christians, and you might be able to identify with this, is that the will of God in the present often seems messy. You find that? The will of God in the present often seems messy, but in retrospect it's perfect. Once you go through all the trauma, once you go through all the problems, and no oh God, did you say that God? And you go through, and when you look back on your life, you see God's wonderful hand in it. Do you, do you experience that? So, though the will of God in the present is messy, and in retrospect it's perfect, God does not want retrospective faith, and that's what most of us do once we go through the mess and everything and we moan and complain with God we come out the other end we look and we say ah, sorry God you were right that does not honour God when we look at the world that we're in have you ever asked what on earth are you doing God have you I mean you do that for your own life am I right but have you thought about other people and a world like Darfur, Iraq, Ivory Coast, Liberia, Indonesia, and all of these things that go around, and you thought, God, what on earth are you doing? If you look in the newspaper, I just want the newspaper to move on to the next slide. These are some of the subjects that the news tells us about. Yeah? And what do Christians do? We want to see Jesus lifted higher, a banner that flies across the land, that all men might see the truth and know that He is the way to heaven. It's sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes to me, it's like Christians are making daisy chains on the Titanic help me sing a little more. Praise the Lord a little more. Maybe these things will go away. And when you actually put your mind to it, it actually rocks your face if you think about it too much. Am I right? Some Christians don't think these things through because if they actually start thinking through, God, why do you allow this suffering? Why are you saying for us to go into all the world and evangelize it? And look at the world... Actually, you've got your faith, so you switch off. That's why many people switch off in World Mission. And they live a sort of, an individual bubble type of Christianity and existence. Based on a few pet verses, which actually don't touch reality. And when life invades that bubble and bursts it, many lose their faith. Well, in fact, you can have a lot of Christians who go through life believing but really not growing because they don't know how to go. What are you doing? What I want us to do this morning is to take a step back and actually see what God is doing. Though it seems messy, God is doing some wonderful and amazing things in this world. Let's just look at what God is doing and God's involvement in world evangelization. I think the first thing I want you to focus on is to take your eyes off the war and everything else and focus on what the scripture says and here is what we hear. God is doing what he has always planned to do. Now his ways are not our ways. If I was in charge of evangelizing the world, which I think everybody here would be grateful I'm not. I don't think I would be doing it God's way. But God is doing what he always planned to do. God has had a plan from the foundation of the world to be involved with this world, to see it redeemed. Now for those who may be coming to church for the first time, redeemed is one of these words that Christians use you're not sure redeemed is to buy back God created us in principle we've gone against him and gone our own way and God wants to bring us back but it costs him to bring us back and it costs him the life of his son that's hard to understand in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, through you, all the nations, all the families, all the ethnic groups of the world shall be blessed. It was a promise, a solemn promise to Abraham who followed him. And in Galatians, the Apostle Paul, if you to take time, some other time to read these scriptures, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul taught that the blessing of Abraham is a person. Do you know who that person is? Jesus. But Jesus is the blessing of Abraham. And those that put their trust in his and their faith in him can experience that personal relationship and warmth with God. Isn't that wonderful? And in Revelation, when the apostle Paul or John went, was taken up into heaven and had that revelation, he saw people. From every tribe, tongue, and nation standing before the throne of grace. It's going to happen whether you want to be involved or not. It is happening whether you are involved or not. Well, evangelization isn't dependent on you but it can be influenced by you if you give yourself for it. Isn't that wonderful? And God has got a clear plan for a lost world and he invites us to be part of that. He's also planning for something else. We put it up. He's planning, when the scriptures say the wedding feast of the Lamb, Again, for many who maybe don't know the scriptures yet very well, what this basically means is that at the end of time, when the world comes to an end and we're gathered together with God, the description, whether it's going to be a physical banquet or, or however, when I'm not certain, um, some theologians would say, yes, it's definitely going to be a big banquet, and others say, well, it's symbolic of a celebration of a meal together with God, being into fellowship with God. And the scriptures say this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peal of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. That could be retrospective faith for a number of people on that day. Do you follow? At the end of the day, we'll see and we'll see. It was true! God does reign, and God has been reigning, and God is reigning in the world. Wonderful, praise the Lord. But isn't it great that whilst we're alive and in the mess, to say, be able to praise that, and to sing that? To actually gear your life on that premise? The world, and many Christians who say, you're stupid, look at reality, son. But what is Reality this is reality what God says faith is believing in what is not seen once it's seen and touched and not, it, in the sense it's no longer in the realm of faith it's the realm of experience and personal experience and it says See, let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come it was promised and it's come And his bride, which is the church, which is you and me, has made herself ready. How do you make yourself ready? By preparing for the feast. It's by an act of faith in believing what God says. And says, well, my life is not focused on what happens here. My life actually has a dimension into eternity. And by keeping a focus also on eternity, even if I don't make sense of day-to-day life, I can have a confidence that God is in control. Do you live in that reality as a Christian? Honestly, I'm very disappointed. I find that many Christians don't. They're so insular in the way they think. The wonderful thing is is that wedding feast hasn't happened. Do you know why? Because God is looking for more guests. And how do you get guests to a party? You just hope they'll hear about it. Or they'll be wandering along the street and they'll hear singing and they'll say, Oh, I wonder what's happening there. I wonder if I can gate crash. No. The invitation is sent out. And who is God's invitation? You and me. We are God's invitation. Now, for some of you, you're probably saying, This guy is on a different planet. Yeah? I mean, am I talking reality? Am I talking on the same page as some of you? Yeah? Oh, think Lord, I've got one person, one person! I'll have coffee with you later. And it's on me. But don't tell my wife. <laughs> okay. God is doing amazing things. Let's move on. God is doing amazing things. You see, we're insular in this country as to actually what God is doing. I just want to touch three things here the church of Jesus Christ is growing fast. Did you know that? I can take you to churches in Indonesia where we served for 14 years. And one of the churches there is 20,000 strong. Another church that I ministered into was 12,000 and they were only about 1,000 eight years before that. In eight years, they grew from 1,000 to 12,000. They had one collection. They decided to buy a school and to set up a Christian school. So they had a collection one day and they raised... (laughs) Covenant promises one million U.S. dollars. These poor third world churches that need our help. Isn't that right? Things are changing. The church is growing phenomenally fast. When William Carey went overseas as the first, we call the the, the father of modern missions in uh, 1792, 99% of evangelical Christians found in the west 1% in the non-west do you know what it is today 80% of evangelical Christians are in the non-west isn't that wonderful is that wonderful Oh, I'll show it on your faces no, I think that, praise the Lord. Right? You know, the fastest growing churches in Britain are the ethnic minority churches. God is doing some wonderful things in Latin America. Evangelical Christianity has been grown at an unprecedented rate. We'll just move on to the second one. I, I don't want to throw too many statistics at you. But there's also unprecedented growth in non-Western missionary movements. WEC is an international mission organization. WEC is already 20% non-Western. In five years time it'll be 30% non-Western. In about 15 years time we expect and we're hoping and we're trusting that WEC will be majority non-Western. Isn't that wonderful? so we in the West can sit back and say, well, we've done our bit." No, we work together in this. It's absolutely amazing. Korea, India. India sends out more missionaries than the UK. But we don't realise that because actually in India, many of them are sent to other parts of India to different ethnic ethnic groups. And it's just as big cultural differences if they went to the Philippines or to, to Britain. One of the fastest-growing areas for missions is Latin America. The biggest mission movements now to evangelize Spain are coming from Latin America. The biggest mission movements to, to evangelize Portuguese-speaking nations is from Brazil. Isn't that wonderful? So isn't that? We nearly got excited. and also this will get you excited well maybe not (laughs) because you're half asleep (laughs) maybe this will get you excited there's a third point there are clear signs of cracks appearing in the major religions Islam just a couple of examples in Indonesia there are a thousand Muslim converts a month just from Christian school work. Christians have set up Christian schools. They run ethically higher than the state schools and the Muslim schools. People want their kids in it. They send their kids to it. They're exposed to the gospel. And a thousand people are being converted every month, Muslims, to Christ. You never get that in the newspapers, do you? We have a young man I'm not going to mention. He's not young anymore, but he's young compared to me. Right? But he... Algerian, remember all the terrible killings in Algeria, the the jihadists and that, murdering. So disillusioned he became a Christian, through the work of some of our workers. Moved out to another country in Europe. He is doing Christian broadcasting, not radio but television, chat shows. His life's in danger so I can't mention his name and hundreds of Muslims in the Middle East are coming to Christ and in Europe in one country, not in Europe but in Europe and I can't mention it he has just come to me and talked to me and said Stuart we need to see funds come in to buy a church because we're getting so many Muslim converts that if we don't get a church which is culturally contextualized for them we're going to lose them because when they go to the ethnic majority church they have to turn to be like them isn't that wonderful not wonderful that they can't go to church isn't it wonderful that there's Muslim converts like that why is persecution coming in India from Hindu extremists why it's because the church is growing they're worried they're concerned. Hundreds, and this isn't an exaggeration, hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of Hindus are becoming Christians every year. So, let's move on. There is no time to be disheartened or defeated. And it is certainly no time to be complacent or uninvolved. Look to the fields. Look to the fields. They're ripe to harvest. And the laborers are few. Some are sowing, some are reaping. But basically, God is at work. What missionaries have sown over centuries is bearing fruit in unprecedented ways now. So that's what God's doing on earth. What about our involvement, the church's involvement in world evangelization? Here's a few statistics from Operation World, Patrick Johnson's book. When we read this, we thought, oh, well, we're doing not so bad, are we? 3,000 missionary agencies, 98,000 foreign missionaries, 104 thousand national missionaries that's like many in india going from one ethnic group to another we've got neighbors worldwide in wet who are set up to reach ethnic minorities and we're seeing lots of fruit there lots of real struggles as well it's not all great i mean there's lots of pressure and lots of pain but the work is going 71 percent is working cross-culture and we say praise the lord eh You take sugar <laughs> no you don't take sugar ok let me do that right <laughs> but that is one missionary for every 3,600 Christians size can be deceiving now, I've never been to Charlotte Chapel so I don't know <laughs> But I want to tell you, size can be deceiving. Let's move on to the next point. Most Western church Christians lack understanding and passion for missions. What did Jesus say, one of the last things he said to Peter? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Is that right? You agree? So, what did he do? What did he do? Did he go out into all the world and make disciples? No, he did not. Years later, and you've got to understand with Acts, it's not all happening in two weeks. You can read it in two weeks or a few days, but the incident's happened over years. And there came an experience in Peter's life after years of being a Christian, years of knowing of the resurrection, years of knowing of the Great Commission, and God starts to speak to him through a vision. And then there's Cornelius. I won't go into the story, but if you know your Bible, you'll know know this story. Where God said, eat this meat in a vision. Oh, they're all unclean. Oh, I can't do that. I'm 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 a fine Christian. I can't do that. And God says, eat it but I made clean you, can't, you don't You put out and then Cornelius came and he got shared the gospel and this is what happens when the Holy Spirit fell on uh, Cornelius then Peter began to speak I now realise I now understand or actually you could translate it the pennies dropped Another way you could say, the lift has started to reach the top floor. I now realize, God in a sense has opened my eyes to something that in a sense maybe intellectually I knew, but in my spirit I never really, really accepted or understood. And what did he realize? I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. If you're Scots, it's very hard to believe that, isn't it? But we've got to believe that. That is biblical. Amen. But accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. The lift hit the top floor. The gospel is not just for the Jews, and I have a responsibility to take it to the Gentiles. Or at least not to hinder it being taken to the Gentiles. Now, has that really dawned on you? You might say, Well, I'm not hindering world evangelization. Yeah, I'm not actively saying, oh, we are not want to send any more missionaries. Oh, we've got too many missionaries. Oh, not hindering it. But do you actually have a passion to be involved? Just not hindering is not very spiritual. But some base their lives on that. Well, if others are called to be missionaries, I won't stop them. Lots of young people think like that. Well, if they think it's the right thing to do, I'll well, praise the Lord, let them do it. But I don't think it's right for me to do, so I'll not do it. You in your small corner, and I in mine. Is that what God wants? I now realize that God shows no favoritism, and anyone who believes can receive. But how are they going to hear, unless someone is sent? Now that is simple logic. Please come tonight. Okay? I want to talk about the missionary syndrome. Most people are lovely Christians. Hands up if you think you're a lovely Christian. Hands up, husbands, if you think your wives are lovely Christians. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not gonna I get the hands up. You didn't put your hand up. You're in trouble, right? We're lovely Christians. We love the Lord. Well, why are we not evangelizing the world? You have to hear that in the evening. That's like an advert for the evening. Most, next point, most Western Christians, oh, no, many churches have a missionary tradition rather than a missionary vision. This is one of the deceptive things in churches. Again, I don't know Charlotte Chapel, so I can speak anything I want here. You just don't have to invite me back. What's the difference between a missionary vision and a missionary tradition? A tradition, a missionary tradition, is like a car going along the motorway with the engine switched off. But it's still got momentum. There's still people being sent. But what you find in a missionary tradition church is that because you've done missions for so many years, and actually it's one of those little... Badges you can wear, you know, we're a missionary church. But when you actually examine it, you find that maybe not more than 10% of the congregation are actually really committed to mission. 90% are happy to sit in the back of the car and say, Oh, oh, big go, oh, that's great, oh, wonderful. But a missionary vision is when the engine is switched on, so when there's a hill, the car goes up the hill. But the church actually says, what are we doing? Are we involved as a church? And what can we do collectively to really see mission for this country, for Scotland, and for the world that we actually play a part in all that God is doing? And actually are not content with what we're doing. That's the difference between a vision and a mission and a tradition. I don't know your church, you have to evaluate it yourself. And secondly, there's another thing, the average age of those who attend a purely missionary prayer meeting is about 60. Purely missionary prayer meeting, that's the average age. Isn't that sad? What about young people? To actually say, missions is important, I am going to attend a missionary prayer meeting if the traditional missionary prayer meeting of the church is too boring, I'll go to the pastor and say, can I set up a contemporary one? And if the pastor's got any sense, to say yes. And young people get together and to pray for the evangelization of the world. Right, let's just bring it to a close. 31 minutes, I'm doing not bad. After 2,000 years of grace, the church still has 2 billion totally unevangelized people to reach. God is raising up tremendous missionary movements in non-Western countries, and we thank God for that. But that is not for us to be complacent. We have a wonderful heritage in the West wonderful roots, which are actually very, very essential for the whole orb of world mission. Next one. They did a survey, I don't know who did it, but they did a survey from the time of Carey to about three years ago. All the giving of the churches and how much was donated to world mission on average, the West has given less than 2% of its resources for world evangelization. Now, 98% of giving in churches, on average, in the West, has been for self. Where has it got us? 200 years later. 2% and sometimes grudgingly has been invested into the cutting edge of church growth. It might not mean that there's a church planted in a, an area for 50 years because missionaries have to go. Generations of missionaries give their lives, of the, not necessarily physically dying, but giving their lives, their talents to that. And now we're seeing the fruit. What do you think God thinks of that? And my final challenge to you: to just put it up. Just imagine if we'd given four percent over these two hundred years—not just four percent of our money, but four percent of our young people, four percent of our prayers. What sort of world would we be living in? if we had done that for these last 200 years. And as a church, as individuals, through this message, you've got to ask the the question to God. If you ask the question to God, God, what on earth are you doing? Do you know what God is going to say? Mary, what on earth are you doing? May God bless you with this message.